That's chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the place to be this weekend. The Dances weekend welcome the Detroit Tigers and DC United on Saturday night at 7:30 hosts the LA Galaxy. Register at waltersdc.com/events and receive a free old-time logger for doing so. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Segura on the pitch. And a little looper down the right field line. That's going to fall. Edwards will round third. He's going to score. Thomas will whirl and fire to second, holding Segura at first. Oh, what rotten luck for Williams. Two consecutive weak hits, and the Marlins lead 2 to nothing. Now the pitch swing and a line drive down the right field line. A base hit. Burdick chasing to the corners on the warning track. Rounding third and scoring is Garcia. Over to third is Thomas. And into second with another extra base hit in RBI is Jaber Candelario. He is doubled here with one out of the eighth inning. And the Nationals have their third hit in a row in the inning. Ramirez sets the pitch. Swing and a line drive to right field. That's going to be a base hit toward right center. Thomas can only throw it in towards second. And the Marlins are going to play another run. Taylor Cruz scores. The errors turned into a run. And it's now Miami 5 and Washington 3. A big insurance run. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, May 19th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the Nats on Thursday afternoon lost again uh, at the Miami Marlins. 5-3 was the final. The loss concluded a three-game sweep. But the loss also dropped the Nats to an absurd 4-18 and against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season. Yes, you heard that right, 4-18. and 18. And of course, it would be one thing if the Marlins were a really good team, like, say, the Atlanta Braves. You say, okay, really good team against a rebuilding team in the Nats. 4-18 and 18 isn't good, but you can kind of sort of see it. No, these are the Marlins, who are rarely good, unless they're winning the World Series, I guess, right, as we've seen happen twice before. But as we've discussed, the Marlins are borderline frauds so far this season with the winning record, but also the uh, oh-so-bad run differential, and yet the Nats just got swept by the Marlins again. Nats are 18-25 and overall. Mark, I don't know if you have a theory. I don't know if there are any theories for this, but the Nats, for whatever reason, do not beat the Marlins these days. No, and I think it just boils down to, at least in these three games, Al, the Marlins executed a couple more times in significant moments, and the Nationals did not. They got a two-out hit when they needed it. They made a pitch when they needed it. The Nationals 
didn't do that. And I mean, every single one of these games was there for the taking, especially the first game, which they did come from behind to take the lead going to the ninth and then Hunter Harvey blew it. But the other two games, they were right there. They had a big at bat late in the game where if somebody comes through, it might flip the game and put it in their favor and they just could not do it. And I don't think there's anything mentally here going on. I don't think they're spooked by the Marlins, anything like that. But it is weird, and it's unfortunate because, in theory, this is supposed to be the easiest opponent you face in this division, while the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies are the tough ones. And at least so far this year, the Mets have been the one they've done well against, actually have a winning record against, and the Braves, they went 1-2, and two, and now the Marlins 0-3. Oh, I guess it's a good thing they don't face them that much anymore, <laughs> because if they did, if this kept up, they would be in really bad shape come the end of the season, as we saw last year. Well, in fairness to the Nats, that is an imposing environment, Lone Depot Park. I mean, the dozens of people there can really get to you if you are an opposing team player. But you know what's funny is you might say, okay, well, maybe the Marlins match up well with the Nats. But of course, the Nats have changed so much from the beginning of last season to now. So many of the players are different, so you really can't even cling to that. Baseball has all kinds of quirky things. Maybe this is just another one of those quirky things. I mean, we have seen certainly players have teams numbers. I mean, I remember when Daniel Murphy was with the Nats, he owned the Mets, something fierce. I mean, Murphy used to destroy the Mets whenever the Nats would face the Mets, especially in those 2016 and 2017 seasons. But this is like an entire operation. Like for whatever reason, the Marlins in these games do just enough to beat the Nats. It's not like the Nats are getting blown out by the Marlins, but just enough happens to where the Nats don't beat the Marlins. They're kind of out-nationaling the Nationals. You know, they don't hit for much power themselves a little bit. Jorge Soler had a nice series. But really, it's about two outs, not much going on. And hey, a couple of singles, a stolen base, that's enough to do it. Uh, you get a good pitching performance from a young, exciting young starter like Yuri Perez. And, and credit to him, he looks like he could be a keeper. But you get that, and then you just kind of cobble it together with the rest of their bullpen. I mean, you put these two rosters side by side, there are some similarities between them. Wouldn't think that either one is clearly superior to the other. I'm not suggesting the Nationals should be beating up on the Marlins, not at this stage in their development. But they should not be getting crushed, <laughs> at least in the standings, the way they are. The games have been close, but they should not be losing to these guys as much as they have. Well, this was not a good offensive series for the Nats. They, over the three games, totaled a mere 10 runs. The Nats on Thursday afternoon, just eight hits and two walks. You know, that is something that's standing out. The Nats are not drawing many walks these days, and uh, this series exemplified that. Now, three of the Nats' eight hits were extra base hits, including two more extra base hits by Jamer Candelario. Man, has he caught fire over these last four games now. Candelario, another good game on Thursday afternoon. He was up to the number three spot in uh, what was a revamped lineup from Davey Martinez. But Candelario, two for four with a solo homer and a double. He did commit a one-out throwing error in a Marlins one-run third. But uh, Candelario in an Nats one-run fourth, a leadoff homer on a bomb to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. That homer when it projected 443 feet per stat cast. And Candelario in an Nats two-run eighth, a one-out RBI double to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-2, starting with the 10-3 win over the Mets at Nationals Park this past Monday. So basically, in this work week, Candelario has been hitting really well. I mean, this has been impressive. And he's not just hitting like singles, like a lot of guys on the Nats have done this season. Candelario's hitting for power over these last four games. 
He's been the opposite of what most of the guys in this lineup have been. And I put the stat out there on Twitter during the game. He's on pace now for 44 doubles and 18 homers. And I think you would say at the beginning of the year, would you take that? Absolutely. Now, what's funny is that the overall numbers don't look that great. He's only hitting 253. The OPS is 745. He's actually not hitting a lot of singles and he's not drawing walks. And so I think that's bringing the numbers down. But from a power standpoint, I think he's actually been pretty much exactly what they hoped he would be. Now, it's come in bunches here. He's been streaky at times. But for a team that doesn't hit for a lot of power, that's been a nice thing to see. That home run was absolutely crushed, just like the one the other night, 443 feet, I think it was, off the second deck. He, When he gets a hold of one, he can do that to it. And the double was a nice piece of hitting in a key moment late in the game in the eighth inning. So that's nice to see as well. So- I guess you would say, given the choice of one or the other, would you rather have the extra base hits and not a lot of singles or more singles and walks and you know higher on base percentage, higher batting average? I think in this case, you'd take what you're getting from him because this team needs that. And it's not like he's supposed to be a 300 hit or anything like that. He's supposed to you know deliver for you some power, supposed to be a doubles machine. So if the other guys are doing their job getting on base in front of him and after him, then I think you can live with him on pace for 44 doubles and 18 homers, even if the average is kind of low. Yeah, a lot of us have scratched our heads over Davey continuing to bat Jamer in the number four spot and, you know, on Thursday afternoon, the number three spot. But you can see what Davey is thinking now. I was wondering, what exactly is the thought process here? Because Candelario was not doing well. But yeah, Candelario can provide that thing that uh, the Nats do not have in anything close to abundance this season, and that is hitting for power. So that two-run eighth inning for the Nationals, their other run-scoring hit in the game came from Corey Dickerson. Speaking of hitting for power and speaking of uh, hitting the ground running here, Corey Dickerson was the Nats' cleanup batter on Thursday afternoon. Davey did not waste much time in bumping Corey Dickerson up in the lineup. So uh, with Joey Manessis on the paternity list, Dickerson was again the Nats' starting designated hitter, as mentioned, the cleanup batter. One for four, RBI single. Dickerson and that two-run eighth, a one-out opposite field RBI infield single toward third base to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3. What'd you make, though, of this new-look lineup from Davey? So, like I said, you had Dickerson in the cleanup spot. Davey flip-flopped Lane Thomas and Luis Garcia. Thomas went from the usual number one batter to being in the two spot. Garcia from the usual number two batter to being in the one spot. Each guy went one for four with a single. Jake Alou got the start in left field. He was a number seven batter. Alex Call got dropped down to nine. That was notable. I guess just Davey trying to shake things up, generate some more offense. Yeah, I think a combination of just trying to make something happen when it hasn't been happening here lately and doing so when you don't have Joey Manessas, who's away on paternity leave, and at a time when Cabert Ruiz, who has been your three or four hitter most days here recently, he's been struggling again. He is slumping and he had a very important at bat late in this game that unfortunately did not go right. He's due right here, and the pitch. Swinging a ground ball, slowly hit right side. Arise flips to second one. Relay to first, double play. 4-6-3 ends the inning. And another double play ball for Kbert Ruiz, who has piled them up of late. He's just grounded into his 10th double play of the year. Rolled over on a changeup to the outside corner. Not good there. So I think that was a sign of saying, let's try to take a little bit off of him. Let's not put him in that primary spot. You don't have Manessis either. So how are you going to do this? Well, Candelario has been hot lately. Dickerson obviously hit the home run the night before. You know, long term, I don't know that's the answer to all of their problems. I'm not sure what exactly is the answer other than getting Joy Manessis back. And hopefully he continues the run that he was on there before he left for paternity leave. 
I don't love Garcia leading off and Thomas second because Garcia is such a free swinger. I think that may have been specific to this one. I don't think that's something we're going to see a lot of. And I think Lane Thomas has done a pretty good job in that spot. Maybe just the matchup in this case that felt like something to do and wanting to have somebody with a little more thump in the two spot in Thomas. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, I think it's a reflection of who was available and who has not been hitting here so far. Yeah, Lane Thomas, he doesn't draw a ton of walks, but his on-base percentage actually is pretty good. He has gotten on base at a pretty good clip this season. So Kbert Ruiz in this series, he wasn't at starting catcher in all three games. We did not see Riley Adams as a starting catcher, even though on Thursday you had the day game after the night game. But Kbert in this series over the three games, 0 for 11 with a walk and a brutal series for C.J. Abrams. He started all three games. He went a combined 0 for 11 with eight strikeouts. That's about as bad as we've seen Abrams look off him having looked quite good in recent games. I think that's the stunner here is that Abrams looked like he was coming around. And, you know, this doesn't mean that he isn't coming around. But, man, this was a rough series. If you get a chance, take a listen or watch Davey Martinez's postgame session with reporters from Thursday afternoon because Davey throughout the session harped on the Nats chasing pitches out of the strike zone. You know, we start chasing. Davey must have said the word chase about 400 times uh, during this session. In fact, if you're looking for a drinking game this weekend, just take a shot every time Davey says chase in this postgame session. But specific to Abrams, Davey right away talked about Abrams chasing. And uh, yeah, I mean, Abrams will have better series. This certainly was not one of his uh, better series. It wasn't. And like you said, the disappointing part is that it came on the heels of such a good series against the Mets. And so it's disappointing to see that flip in the opposite direction. But it is true. He was and others were chasing a lot of pitches out of the zone. Now, Yuri Perez had great stuff and movement, and you can understand why it may be the case sometimes. But you mentioned they only drew one walk in the game. It seemed like if you had just stood up there and done nothing but take pitches, I think they might have had an okay outcome with that because there weren't that many pitches actually over the plate. Now, the plate umpire was also helping out somewhat, especially down in the zone. So maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But when Abrams was up there and he's facing, I think it was the lefty Okert in the seventh, and you know, everything is coming at you is going to be a slider. That's what it's going to be down and away, down and away, down and away. And he just couldn't hold off on it. And, you know, I get it. He's a young guy. He's going to learn. It takes time sometimes to figure that kind of stuff out. But you saw in this series a really steady diet of sliders thrown to C.J. Abrams, not a lot of fastballs, not a lot of pitches he could hit until he proves that he can lay off those and draw some walks. He's probably going to continue to see more of that kind of stuff. So this is a big test for him now to avoid that. Cabert Ruiz, we know he could get the bat on the ball almost anywhere, but that's actually kind of to his undoing at times. And in a big spot where they're trying to rally in the eighth inning, they get a couple runs in. They now have two on with one out. They're only down a run. And the first pitch is a changeup and it's outside off the plate. He swings at it. He rolls over, hits into a double play ball, 4-6-3. We've seen that a lot from him. Doesn't mean he can't still be a really good hitter. We, he has his moments. We see the promise there. Another young guy who's going to learn. But that's the kind of stuff, especially on the first pitch. There's nothing wrong with swinging at the first pitch. But if you're up there and you're going to do that, you say to yourself, 
what is the pitch and where is the location where I want to swing at it? And it's okay. It doesn't just mean if it's near the strike zone. You can keyhole, find a spot and a location and a type of pitch. You get a fastball on the inner third, whatever that might be, go for it. But it can't just be as simple as, oh, this pitch looks like a strike. I better swing at it because it's not a quality pitch to, to swing at. And you end up costing your team with two outs on one big moment in the game. This isn't necessarily why Kbert had a rough game on Thursday afternoon, but I do wonder with him catching so often in a spot like this, again, early afternoon day game after a night game, why not force him to take a rest? Okay, we know he wants to play every day, but I think in, in some respects you have to almost save him from himself and, you know, less might be more with him. I mean, we're a little more than a quarter of the way into the season. Kbert Ruiz is on pace to catch an inordinate number of games this season. And He's young, I understand that, but you know, you, you got to pace yourself a little bit here. Like, you want this guy to be your catcher for the next, you know, five to ten years, and you know, I, I just wonder if the offense might be better if he took some more days off. If Davey made him take some days off, especially because we have seen Riley Adams in like the handful of games that he's played this season, anyway, you know, look all right as a batter. It's an interesting question, and, and the thing that you know we would never really know for sure from Davey is how much of this has to do with him being nervous that he just doesn't have the lineup depth to be able to afford benching him as much as maybe ideally you should. And that's not a knock on Riley Adams. He had a big homer on the road trip. He's had his moments, but he's still not the consistent threat that Ruiz is. And against a right-hander like Yuri Perez, that would be a very tough matchup for Riley. We also know defensively that there seems to be a feeling that Ruiz has really stepped up his game in terms of a game caller and running the pitching staff. So I do wonder if you have more threats throughout the lineup, maybe you're more likely to say, okay, we can sit him for a day and it's not going to cost the team that much. And this is this balance that you're always going to be dealing with as a manager of a team like this. Are you just about making sure all your young guys are getting the right amount of work and learning and resting and building for the future? Or are you trying to win games? If you're trying to win games, Ruiz probably makes sense in the lineup a little more than you would normally let a starting catcher catch. If you're more worried about his development, maybe you sit him a little bit more. I think it's an interesting balance. And I don't know if we'd ever get a truly honest answer from Davey, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the equation. Yeah. And I think it's also probably one of these things where it's like, Davey doesn't want to sit K-Bert. K-Bert doesn't want to sit. So Davey's not going to force the issue, right? It might be a little different if K-Bert was maybe more willing to sit. And it's a credit to K-Bert Ruiz that he wants to play every day. I love that about the guy. But again, sometimes you have to save the guy from himself and you got to think bigger picture. And you know, as much as K-Bert Ruiz may be better than Riley Adams, is K-Bert Ruiz at, say, I don't know, 70% better than Riley Adams? You know, if you're getting a diminished version of K-Bert because he's playing so often, and, you know, who knows what kind of like nagging ailments he might have. You know, we don't know much about Nat's injuries that are reported, okay? There are always a bunch of things that we never get told of that guys are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So just something to think about. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows 
that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. But act soon because this deal does expire at the end of the month. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But don't forget, this deal does expire at the end of the month. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now the wind of the pitch. Fastball hit in the air to deep right center. Calls going back to the warning track. He leaps and can't get it. It is gone. Goodbye. A home run for Brian De La Cruz. That will extend his hitting streak to 12 games in a row. It's his fourth home run of the year. RBI number 15. And the Marlins lead one to nothing here in the last of the second. Trevor Williams was an ad starting pitcher for this uh, 5-3 loss at the Marlins on Thursday afternoon. And, you know, I thought another solid outing. I mean, it wasn't great three runs in six innings, but there was a good bit to like. He only gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He issued a hit by pitch, but he had five strikeouts versus one walk. He threw a good number of strikes, 94 pitches, 60 strikes versus 34 balls. Gave up a run in the bottom of the second on a one-out opposite field solo home run by Brian De La Cruz to right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Marlins lead. Williams, bottom of the third, allowed a run on a one-out opposite field double by Xavier Edwards on a weird play, a weakly hit grounder down the third baseline. And then after that came a one-out first pitch opposite field RBI single by Gene Segura to right to put the Marlins up 2-0. And Williams then issued a one-out walk at Garrett Cooper. So that was not a great inning. Bottom of the fourth, Williams allowed a run on two singles 
and a hit by pitch. But I thought this was kind of a representative start for Trevor Williams so far this season. Not great, but not bad, solid. And that's what he has been for the Nats for the most part. He has been a, a solid, you know, number three-ish, number four-ish type pitcher for the Nats. Right. He gives you a chance. Three runs and six innings. Okay, that's it. Now, is he going to dominate? Probably not. He's usually not going to go six innings, one run, but he's also not going to blow up and go four innings, six runs, anything like that. So yeah, he gives him a chance. But there were a couple moments in this. I mean, the home run, you could see his reaction. If you could read lips, you know exactly what he was saying after that one. The third inning, like you said, that was some bad luck. A couple of cue balls, one to the left side, one to the right side. Not much you can do about that. The other run in the fourth inning, though, the hit by pitch is really what cost him there because it's a man on first, one out. The hit by pitch, all of a sudden, he's in scoring position. And then two batters later with two outs, it's an RBI single. If not for the hit by pitch, he's never in scoring position. He never scores on the single. So that's one that just one errant pitch, and sometimes that's all it takes, will cost you. But I like that he finished strong. He got through the full six innings. I mean, he was at 70 pitches after four innings. You're probably not thinking six full innings at that point, but he finished strong getting uh, six up, six down after that on 24 pitches, I believe it was. So yeah, he gives you a chance. He's not the reason they lost the game, but he's not the kind of pitcher that's going to go out there and win you a lot of games either. He's going to give you a chance. I think the lack of decisions that he has in his record will tell you that he's not the guy who's going to win you games, but he's probably not going to lose you games either. So Trevor Williams now this season, nine starts, ERA of 426. The whip is 126. Believe it or not, Trevor Williams' whip is better than the whips of both of the Nats' best starting pitchers so far this season, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. Gray and and Gore each has an ERA better than Williams, but uh, the Williams' whip is superior to the whips of Gray and Gore. I thought that was interesting. Nats' bullpen on Thursday afternoon had some issues. Two relievers combined to give up two runs, one earned in two innings. So Mason Thompson had another shaky outing. Bottom of the seventh, he allowed a run on a leadoff single by Nick Fortes up the middle, and then a two-out RBI single by Garrett Cooper to center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 4-1 Marlins lead. Look, Thompson didn't get shellac, and I guess these days that's almost like a step forward for the guy, but that was a crucial run that was given up in that inning. And, you know, it just stands out so much. Mason Thompson had been so good for the Nats. You take a step back now, his last seven games, he's allowed 10 runs in four and two-thirds innings. And then the other run off the pen, Erasmo Ramirez, bottom of the eighth, an unearned run on a one-out throwing error by Jamer Candelario, and then back-to-back two-out singles for a 5-3 Marlins lead. And that proved to be a significant run. Yeah. So with Mason Thompson, I was on the verge of saying, oh, okay, that was a big outing for him. He kind of got it back a little bit. And then he gives up two out RBI single on an 0-2 pitch. You just can't do that. You got to finish it off. There was some better stuff. He was getting ground balls, which is his thing. He was getting better movement on his sinker. You could see what uh, Dan and Kevin were talking about on the broadcast and what I mentioned a, a week or so ago about they think there's a mechanical issue here where he's kind of short arming it, not reaching back as much. That may be leading to some of the lesser command. The leadoff single came on a 2-0 pitch. That's not going to work. He's a guy who's got to get ahead. You can't be missing like that. So it's still a work in progress. I thought he was this close to coming out of this with a good feeling about it. And unfortunately, couldn't make that one last pitch. And Erasmo uh, Ramirez, he's hurt by an error on Candelario. So of course, that sets a bad tone for the inning. But again, 
two outs. You're one pitch away from getting out of this thing and he couldn't quite do it. And that seemed to be the theme this whole series. They make one more pitch at the right moment. They get one more hit at the right moment. We're talking about a very different series. That's the margin for error. In a good sense, that means they're in every one of these games. Of course, they're not getting blown out. It's not like there's anything we can look at and say, they're clearly inferior because they aren't getting the pitching or they aren't getting the hitting or whatever else. But there's still that little step they've got to take on a more consistent basis. Make the pitch when you need to with two outs. Get the hit with two outs when you need it. Yeah, I mean, save for the 16-1 debacle to the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on April 29th, you have had very few like decisive losses for the Nats for months now. I mean, you know, you go back to the first two series of the season, you had a few rough losses there. But otherwise, you know, the losses are relatively close. And in this series, you had two one-run losses and a two-run loss. Like, that was it. You got swept, but, you know, your combined margin of defeat in this series was just four runs. So next up for the Nats is a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park. The Nats starting pitchers for that series, Jake Irvin, Patrick Corbin, and Josiah Gray. Speaking of national starting pitchers, Cade Cavalli made an appearance for the Nationals. Not in the game, but he was in the Nats clubhouse. He spoke to reporters. His brace is off. He can straight his arm and touch his shoulder. And by all accounts, he was in a very upbeat, positive mood, very happy to be with his teammates, which you love to read and hear. So Kate Cavalli underwent his Tommy John surgery back in March. It was brutal news when that happened. We talked about that on the podcast. Do you think internally the Nats think that Cade will be ready for the start of next season? Or do you think that the thinking is more like, you know, May or June of next year? I think the hope is for the start of the season. I am sure that Cade Cavalli has circled that day on his calendar. He's a very motivated guy and is always going to be looking for any big steps he can take and milestones to cross off the list. Now, that said, I could see them sort of purposely holding him off. And the reason I say that is we know as a young pitcher, they're going to be watching his workload anyways. Let's think back, oh, more than a decade now with Steven Strasburg when he came back. Now, he came back at the end of the season. The the timing was a little different. Came back and pitched in September of 2011 and then started the season opening day in 2012. Obviously, the team was very good that year. He was the ace of that team. And we know what happened come September because they were watching his innings and had said all along they weren't going to let him go too far. And so you have the shutdown as we've come to know it over the years. I do think the philosophy has changed somewhat in this regard. I think they're still very cognizant of limiting guys' innings, but I think they prefer to do it in a little different manner and not say, go for broke from the beginning. And then when we decide it's time to shut you down, we will. I could see them spacing it out a little bit more or even delaying the start of it to therefore allow him to maybe finish out the season or get close to finishing out the season. A long way to go. We'll see a lot of steps he's still got to take. He hasn't even thrown a baseball yet. That won't happen for several more months. But I could see that being the case. And the hardest thing here is going to be getting Cade to buy in on that. He's a high energy, motivated guy. The day 
they announced that he was having the surgery and we all interviewed him in West Palm Beach. He was already talking about the rehab and fired up about it. And they have to tell him, slow down. You can't think in those terms. You just got to look at each step along the way. If you consume yourself with what date am I coming back, it's going to drive you crazy. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. All in for week one. Perhaps Cade Cavalli should uh, <laughs> launch that campaign. How, how'd that work out for the other guy? <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out so well for that guy. So maybe uh, Cade should not do that. Blow it all up. Because all that matters is what you do next. Well, Kate Cavalli showing up to be with the Nationals on Thursday reminded me of an email that we got a few weeks ago. This is from Will Chong. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. The subject of Will's email, Strasburg Mystery, writes Will, I have a bone to pick with Steven Strasburg, and I hope that Alan Mark can address this. Where the heck is Strasburg, and how does he get to not even show up to games? With all of the money that he's getting paid, I strongly feel that he should at least be on the bench cheering on his teammates and mentoring these young pitchers like Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray. I just don't understand how Strasburg can sit at home or be in Florida and just rehab. Just a frustrated fan about how this Strasburg deal has turned out. Thank you for your time, and I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Well, thank you for the email, Will. I have some thoughts on this, but where is Strasburg? Is he ever at these games, or is he never at Nats games these days? If he's there, none of us have seen him, and his locker has remained pristine ever since. So I don't get the sense that's been the case. Now, perhaps he is coming by when the team's on the road, and maybe he has meetings or some kind of rehab that he's doing at the ballpark. But to be honest, I don't know there really is that much rehab going on at this point. And I think that's pretty telling in itself. The fact that he's not there, I think, is pretty telling in itself. I know people keep asking me constantly, any updates, what's going on with him? And the answer is I don't have anything to share. I don't think there really is anything to share. You never want to say never, you know, until they make some kind of announcement that it's over. You don't want to say that it's over, but all the signs do seem to point to that. And the sense I got, uh, at least at last check of it, was that there's not really a rehab to be done here to try to get him ready to pitch. I think they are just letting him rest his body and his arm and then decide how they want to proceed. I'm sure it would be for him emotionally pretty difficult to show up there and have to deal with the consequences of that and everybody looking at you, wanting to know what's going on and not having any answers for them. I'm not excusing it. I get the question. It's a fair question. If you are still on the IL and you're still being paid by this team, shouldn't you be involved in some way? That's not wrong to ask that question. I just keep thinking in the back of my mind without knowing for certain, I keep thinking in the back of my mind that they've already kind of begun the process of figuring out how this is going to come to an end and logistically what that's going to involve in terms of his contract. I don't get the sense that there's really much of any rehab going on. So the Nats opening day was March 30th. And it was on that morning that Mike Rizzo spoke to reporters. And he said something that was kind of a passing something. But, you know, sometimes the little things are the most telling things. He got asked about Steven Strasburg not being at Nationals Park for opening day. He's not going to be here today. He felt that he didn't want to distract from uh, from the opening day festivities, and uh, he's just taking it, he's taking it day by day, and uh, you know, trying to you know, just get healthy. And when I heard that, I said to myself, 
Strasbourg, he doesn't want to be a distraction. Like the whole, like what the team is going to be distracted by him. Like I thought that that was not true. And so I said to myself, okay, well, what's going on here? Why would Rizzo say that? And to me, I got the sense that Rizzo was offering a cover for Strasbourg not being there. And I think it may well be what you just hit on, that maybe Strasbourg doesn't want to be there. You know, maybe he is having a hard time dealing with his career being over and with the way that this is ending, because this is a sad ending to his career from a baseball standpoint. Okay. I mean, it's not sad in a life way. He's getting paid a ton of money. He's a young guy. He's got, you know, decades of life ahead of him, great family, et cetera. But this is sad. I mean, it's pretty depressing what happened with this guy. World Series MVP to basically nothing for the next few years. And he is now under the terms of a contract that, yes, is paying him a ton of money, but also, yes, is arguably the worst contract in baseball history. That's not an exaggeration. You could make that argument with what he's getting paid versus what he has produced. So I do wonder if maybe Strasburg doesn't want to be there. I also wonder this. Maybe the Nats don't want him there because if he is down on things. And if he is kind of moping around and you have a young team and you're rebuilding and you want, you know, that positive energy in the clubhouse, maybe you don't want a guy who's at this stage of his career and acting this way around you. And it's not an indictment of Strasburg, but I know in the NFL, there is a feeling of when a guy is hurt, it's almost like he's off the team because there's this like, you know, militaristic mentality of you're either with us or you're against us, you know? Like, if you're not helping the cause, then get out of the way. It's like the Mike Rizzo saying, you're either in or you're in the way. And I wonder if there's if that's in play, too. If maybe each side kind of says to itself, you know, it's probably better that you're not here. And it's, not, it's nothing personal against Rosberg, but it's just the reality of the situation kind of dictates that you not be here. I also would say this, too. I mean, Strasburg, he could be having regular conversations with Gore and Gray via phone, via text, via Zoom. There's always a lot of stuff that could be happening here. But, you know, the email also makes me think this. This entire Strasburg scenario has been, like, cloaked in secrecy. There's been so little information. There's been such little transparency. We've been told so little. And so what you do is you wonder about things, right? And, you know, a guy like Will writes a thoughtful email like that, and we have a conversation like this. There's a lot that we don't know. Strasburg doesn't talk to you guys anymore. When the Nats talk about Strasburg, it's always in, in this very, like, you know, dark, ominous way. You know, there's not a lot of information that's given. And so the mind wanders, and you don't have concrete answers to basic questions like, where is he? What is he doing? And how come he is never at Nats games? All fair points that you make. And I think I would just also say, if he was there, what is it that he would be doing that would be contributing either to his own recovery or to the team's benefit? If he was a big rah-rah, big talker, big, hey, I'm going to take these other young starters under my wing and show them how it's done, it'd be a different thing. But that's never been who he is. And again, that's fine. That's his personality. You can't be something that you're not. But this is not somebody who... Whether he pitched for 20 years with no injuries or whether he got hurt right away, this is not somebody who was ever going to go into a coaching career. That's not his personality. It's not his style. So I think it's fair to say what benefit would there be to him being there if he's not able to do anything from a baseball standpoint anyways, and if there isn't really any rehab for him to go through at the stadium. So I can understand you know, that as well. And it is sad, like you said. But I think you read between the lines and you see where this is going. I think there's probably also, and, and this is, you know, psychological interpretation, not really knowing this for certain, but I could understand why he might feel this way. 
Steven Strasburg may feel like he is personally responsible for the downfall of the franchise. Now, I do not believe that he is the reason the franchise went from where they were to where they are now. We've outlined all the reasons why they are. Is he on the list? Yes, somewhere on there. And if he is healthy and productive and pitching all this time, maybe it changes the way they approach the trade deadline in 2021 and 22 and all that kind of stuff. But the franchise would still be in a precarious position, even if he was around and pitching and healthy. But I could understand because of the contract, the timing, everything else that's transpired, why he might personally feel like he's shouldering the blame for what has happened to them. And if that's the case and knowing him and his personality, why would you want to put yourself out there and let everyone see you and just be a reminder of what your injury has caused to the franchise and how different things have become since you last were a healthy pitcher? I think, though, what happens is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the longer that you don't speak, the more of a big deal it becomes that you're not speaking. Like, if he would just sort of get it out of the way, first of all, I think any Nats fan who thinks that, like, his injury is why the Nats are in this spot, like, (laughs) you got to listen to more episodes of this podcast, okay? Like, that's not why the Nats are in this spot. Again, I go back to, like, the ominous dark, cryptic way this entire ordeal has gone down, the way it's been talked about, the way it's been communicated, it has only served to make things, I think, more complex. And, you know, if you are a guy like Strasburg, who clearly doesn't like talking to you guys and doesn't like, you know, sort of opening up, and that's fine that he doesn't like those things. But the more that he doesn't do that, the more that he's not around, the bigger of a deal it becomes when he finally does show up and talk or does come around. And so, you know, I think that that's kind of an irony to all of this. You know, there there have not been many great moments for the Nats in recent years. One, though, was the goodbye to Ryan Zimmerman on the final day of the regular season in 2021. Strasburg deserves a proper goodbye as a player, okay? I'm with you. I think he's done. I think this is over, and it's just a matter of him, you know, coming to terms with his career being over. Is there a way that there could be a proper goodbye to him somehow at Nationals Park this season? Like, could you put him to pinch hit and take a pitch so that he could get an ovation at Nationals Park? I mean, I was going to say, could you put him to pitch an inning? But you can't even really do that with the state of things with him coming off the TOS. But is there anything realistically that could be done so that he could get what Zimmerman got on that October Sunday in 2021? That was a really cool thing. That was an excellent goodbye that Nats fans were able to say to Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Zimmerman is being saluted with a standing ovation, which includes the Boston Red Sox. Their entire team is out on the edge of the grass, giving Zimmerman an ovation. He's saluting the crowd as he's being taken out of the game. He's patting his chest, looking to all corners of Nationals Park. Is there anything you can think of that could be done along those lines for Strasburg or not so much? I've thought about this very thing because you're right that he's been robbed. If this is the end of it, he has been robbed of that moment. And think about it. He made the one start last year was in Miami, wasn't at home. Prior to that, you still, I think when he was pitching in 21, a couple of times, you didn't have full stadiums at that point because we were still in COVID restrictions. So it really has been a long time since he's been in a game at Nationals Park with a big crowd on hand. So you would love for there to be something like that. If I remember correctly, Kerry Wood, kind of a similar story to Steven Strasburg, the great phenom who 
20 strikeouts and you know very early in his rookie year, all kinds of injuries. He did kind of come back and had a career as a reliever for a while. If I remember right, he came back to the Cubs at the end and they sort of announced in advance, this is going to be his final game. And he came in and he pitched an inning, walked off the mound at the end of the inning. The crowd went berserk for him and that was his farewell. I wish, I'm sure a lot of people wish Strasburg could get himself to the point that he could do that. I just don't know if that's feasible actually being in a game to do something like that. So that's the first part of it. The second part is it would have to be something that he's comfortable with. And we know, we just talked about all this. He does not like being the center of attention. That's not who he is. And so in my mind, I've been thinking all along, the most likely scenario is a retirement announcement and a press conference. And maybe they can do something where at the start of the game or during the game, they put him up on the scoreboard and he waves to everybody, and, but he's not in uniform. He's not you know, on the active roster. And even that, I could see him being uncomfortable with. It's just not who he is. And ultimately, as much as we all want to have that closure and that moment like Zimmerman had, this is his decision. It's his moment to decide how he wants to go out. I sure hope that it's not just a press release and we never see or hear from him again in public. I really hope that's not the case because he does deserve to have that moment. Even if it's uncomfortable for him, I think he would find that he'd get such a positive reaction from fans and from everybody and everybody would focus on all the good things that he did for them and not focus on the injuries and everything else or the way that it ended. But knowing him, the little bit that I've gotten to know him over more than a decade, I know how uncomfortable that is for him and it's going to be a tricky thing to pull off to do it in a way that he's okay with. Well, if he is having a hard time coming to terms with his situation, a proper goodbye could perhaps provide him with some proper closure. But who knows? You tell us what you think. If you have an idea on uh, how to say goodbye to Steven Strasburg, hit us up. Email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet the show as well, at nats underscore chat. You can find us on Instagram, too, at natschatpodcast. We have a website, natschatpodcast.com. You can listen to previous installments of the show. You could also get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that website, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Good breaking ball from Wood. And that is up number two. Well, career to this point at Kerry Wood, 446 games including today, 178 starts, 11 over 500, ERA 367, could very well be that that is going to be it for Kerry Wood. He's always been one of my favorites. I have followed him his whole career. He's done what he was supposed to do. He would give you everything he's got. This is how he wanted to go out. He wanted to go out with one more appearance and go out his way.